How many of you think they just played the wrong video right there? Uh, if you are brand new with us, uh, we embarked on a study in the Gospel of John a few years ago, really, it's been a few years, uh, called Believe, a study in the Gospel of John. And we would take breaks here and there to do some different topical series and things like that. But we are finally, finally finishing our, not journey through the Gospel of John, our odyssey through the Gospel of John today in John chapter 21. If you have a Bible, would you open it up? If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat back in front of you. Uh, there's free Wi-Fi in here in the sanctuary, so you can hop on there at Bayview Wi-Fi and you can uh, jump on your device. I will trust that you're not uh, texting anyone or checking scores. There's no scores to check today. That's not until uh, this fall when football starts back up again. Um, and we'll be in John chapter 21. If you recall, there are four... Biographies of the life of Jesus included in the New Testament, four different individuals wrote them, two that were really close friends with Jesus and two that did a lot of research. And those four people are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels. That means same viewpoint. So they see the life of Jesus from the same view. And then John kind of sees his own view of the life of Jesus, not contradictory, just different than those other three writers of the gospel. And what John has done is he's gone through 20 chapters of Jesus' miracles and Jesus' teaching and what he claimed about himself and who he was and what he did and all that stuff. And he gets to John chapter 21. And John chapter 21, if you could just kind of wrap one word around chapter 21, it's all about memory. It really is. And memory is a powerful thing. Memory is a powerful thing. I actually did some research this week on memory because John chapter 21 is all about memory and remembering. And, and, and I found that memory really is a powerful thing, a short-term memory, a long-term memory, emotional memory. We can actually uh, write memories into our mind. We can place memories into our mind and others can place memories into our mind. It's really a fascinating thing and it drives us and it motivates us and it shapes us. If you think about it, you really are a, a cumulative effect of all your memories. You know, what's happened in the future hasn't happened yet, so it's all your memories that really shape who you are. And I was watching a, a TED Talk this week about memory. Uh, you guys watch TED Talks ever? Yeah, okay, so I was watching a TED Talk on memory. If you, if you check it out, it's really, really fascinating. Just type in, you know, Google TED Talk on memory or whatever. And this uh, scientific psychologist was, was suggesting that memory is less like a recording device and it's more like a Wikipedia page. Here's what she means by that. She says that memory is not so much something that has recorded something for all time, like a video recording or an audio recording or a computer hard drive, and you recall it and play it back. Rather, memory is a little bit more like a Wikipedia page where anybody can go in and edit <laughs> and change and revise. That's not always a good thing on Wikipedia, is it? <laughs> but when it comes to memory, 
That can be a really good thing, especially in John chapter 21. It's a good thing because Peter, who is a disciple of Jesus, one of his closest friends, one of the very first disciples that Jesus called, has denied Jesus three times. And he has some really bad memories. And he's got some good ones too, but those good ones have kind of been erased a little bit, at the very least jettisoned. And Jesus wants to come back into Peter's memory and walk him back through some memories in order to welcome him back to the fold. And that's where we're going to be today is in John chapter 21. Before we go any further, I want to remind you where, the, where we have been. And at the end of John chapter 20, uh, John writes this. He says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples. So I've written a bunch of them here. But he did a whole lot more, uh, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may, say that word with me, believe. Right? That's what our series was called, Believe. And so that you may believe two things, that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God. And as a result, by believing, you may have life in his name. So we've put this equation up here a number of times throughout the course of the series. But just so you know, what John is doing in this biography of the life of Jesus is he is writing so that you may believe two things, that Jesus is the Christ, the sent one from God, and the Son of God, in fact, very God in the flesh. And when you believe these things, believe is put your active trust in these things, you'll receive life in the name of Jesus. That's what John is doing. And so at the end of John 20, when he writes this verse, he really is concluding his gospel. He's wrapping it up. He's putting a bow on it. It's over. Uh, you know, I've done all the claims of Jesus. I've done all the miracles of Jesus. I've done all the teaching of Jesus. I've even done the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, Jesus did a whole lot of other stuff, but I wrote these so that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and you, by believing, you may have life in his name. The end. It's over. But you ever, you ever watch those movies where, where it's like a true story, like Aaron Brockovich. Did you ever watch Aaron Brockovich? That tells you, uh, that tells you like, uh, how much I really love movies. Like That's the last movie I watched was Aaron Brockovich. I can't stand movies. I think it's a waste of two hours. That's my own personal thing. Okay. But at the end of those movies, you, you kind of wonder, like, what's that person doing now, right? You told a little bit of their story from the 70s or 80s or 90s or whatever. What are they doing now? And then at the end of the movie, there's that text on the screen that says, oh, now so-and-so is like living in Montana on the ranch with their two dogs and their grown children or whatever. So-and-so is still practicing law in New York or whatever it is. So John chapter 21 is a little that way. I mean, it was kind of like, whatever happened to Peter? And John goes, oh, oh here's, here's what happened to Peter. And begins John chapter 21 this way. He says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. So the disciples are on the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias. That's uh, synonymous. Those are the same thing. And Jesus reveals himself to them. So what we know is that Jesus is about to reveal himself to the disciples. A couple things you need to know about that word, revealed himself. Number one is that Jesus is in total control. Do you see that? The disciples aren't seeking after Jesus. Rather, he's seeking after them. The disciples aren't going after him. In fact, they're running away. Jesus is seeking after them. His sovereignty and his power is demonstrated in this very idea that he is choosing to reveal himself. Pretty cool, by the way. It also tells us in the original Greek there, that, that word for reveal himself tells us it, it, there's an implication there, an indication that Jesus has changed in terms of physical appearance. So what has happened is he, that he's died and three days later he's resurrected. Now he's in his glorified body. And we'll even see that later on in the text because the disciples will see him from about 100 yards off and they won't recognize him. 
One, because they're 100 yards away from him, but two, because he's in his glorified body. That's what that Greek word is indicating there. The second thing John tells us is, after this, this is my favorite this in all the Bible. I love this this. There's so many thises in all the Bible. This is my favorite this. Why? Because John is bringing to mind what? After all this, the New International Version translation says. After all this, after all what? Well, after all that I've written in the previous 20 chapters. If you go back to John 1, verse 1, if you hearken back to that verse, it's in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Peter would have known that this beginning here was meant to draw his attention to the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. See, Peter grew up as a Jew. He knew all the stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He knew the stories of the prophets. He knew when Jerusalem was decimated and God sent Nehemiah back in to rebuild the wall. He knew of the time of silence after the prophets before Jesus. He knew of the Messiah. He knew of all these stories of God's faithfulness. And not only did he know of those things, but he experienced, he saw as one of Jesus' three best friends in the world, his closest follower, he saw the transformation Figuration. He saw the feeding of the 5,000. He was one of the guys that went and picked up all the leftovers after Jesus fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. He saw the resurrected body. In fact, he was the very, one of the very first to see the resurrected Jesus. He saw Jesus say, Lazarus, come forth. And a dead man walked out of the tomb. He saw Jesus heal his mother-in-law. He saw his tenderness. He knew his teaching. He knew all his claims. And after all that God had done, not just in the New Testament, through the life and ministry and teaching of Jesus, not just that, but even in the Old Testament, Peter knows all this stuff after all that God had done. Simon Peter Thomas, called a twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of the disciples were together. It's John chapter 21, verse 2. And Simon Peter says, I am going fishing. I'm going fishing. You know what Peter's profession was before he was a disciple? He was a fisherman. He was a fisherman. So what John is telling us is after all that God had done, Peter returns to his old life. You ever done that before? You ever had a real experience with the living God? You worshiped him, you claimed his name, you prayed, you read your Bible, you experienced him. You had these moments where it was like the spirit of God was almost palpable near to you. I mean, who was closer to Jesus than Peter? And listen, friends, after all this, Peter goes back to his old life. Maybe God rescued you from something. Maybe he redeemed you. Maybe he brought you out of an old life of struggle and difficulty and sin and whatever. And there's this moment where for whatever reason, you return to that old life. And and here's what happens. Sometimes when we return to that old life of sin, What we begin to experience is this word called shame, and shame drives us away from God. This is what Peter is experiencing right now. He's experiencing shame. Not, I have done something wrong, but I am wrong. Do you see the difference? 
I am unlovable. I am not worthy. I, I shouldn't even follow Jesus anymore. I'm just going to go back to my old life of fishing because there's no way he's going to accept me back after what I did. And this shame drives Peter and drives us away from God. I started to look this week at, at what's the opposite of shame? Is it pride? Like I'm not ashamed, but I'm proud. No, because pride still conceals like shame does. Pride still self-protects like shame does, but rather humility is the opposite of shame, and humility drives us toward God. See, shame says, I don't want anybody to know. I want to be secret. I don't want anybody to find out because I'm ashamed. Humility comes before the living God and says, I'm laid bare before you. And the response of the living God is, you are loved anyway. Now, that's pretty cool. Watch Jesus help Peter transition from shame toward humility. Here's what he does, and he does it with Peter's memory. Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. The other disciples, like a bunch of lemmings, go, we'll go with you. That night they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, here's memory number one that Jesus is going to call to mind. When Peter was first called as a disciple, before he was a disciple, he was fishing on this very same lake, the Sea of Galilee, near Jerusalem. And he was fishing with James and John. And there was a crowd that was coming around Jesus, listening to Jesus' teaching. So Jesus says, can I borrow your boat? And they said, sure. So he hops in, he pushes back out from shore, and he's teaching this big crowd. And then the disciples let Jesus know that they had fished all night. And Well, not disciples quite yet. They are just fishermen at the time. They had fished all night, and they hadn't caught anything. So Jesus goes, why don't we go out into the deep water, cast the nets again, give it a shot. Peter goes, hey, listen, Slick, you're a carpenter. Like, I'm a fisherman. It's what I do for my job. It's what I've done all my life. These are my partners, James and John. They're brothers. We inherited this, uh, this business from our father. Like, like th this is all that we do. And Jesus says, why don't we give it a shot anyway? And Peter goes, oh, okay, if you say so, we'll go out. So they go out. They cast their nets, and they begin to bring in so much fish that the nets begin to rip. Watch what happens. He, that's Peter, and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. That's uh, synonymous for Peter, Simon and Peter, same guy. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Now I've transitioned you from a fisherman to a catcher of men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Fast forward three years, Jesus has now died and has been resurrected, and he's standing on the shore of that very same lake. And just as day was breaking, John tells us, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to him, children, have you caught any fish? And they answered him, this is what I think the tone is, no, like why would we still be out here? It's, it's the, the crack of dawn, right? Like it's early in the morning. We've been fishing all night. We haven't caught anything. Now watch Jesus. He said to them, cast your net on the other side of the boat. You'll find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. It's Peter and James and John perhaps even in the very same boat, certainly on the very same lake, Jesus standing at the shore and go, why don't you give something else a shot? And it jogs their memory, and immediately, what does John say? It's the Lord. Now I know who this is. 
You see, because three years prior, when these three guys were still fishermen, their whole life journey had been toward a certain end, toward a certain goal. That would be to be a disciple of a rabbi. They would have taken any rabbi, but they were passed by all the rabbis. In fact, it's kind of like being picked for a team and somebody goes, oh, we've got our five, we've got our 11, we've got whatever, and we're not kind of picking you. They didn't get picked. Their dream, their hope, their goal didn't come to fruition. Nobody picked them. And then this really outstanding, spectacular rabbi named Jesus of Nazareth comes along and says, I pick you. And you can see in your mind's eye, Peter's eyes sparkle and his, and his, and his eyes widen and go, me? Me? I thought I'd, I'd given up on my dream and now I get to follow you? That's what every Jewish boy would have wanted back then 2,000 years ago. So it jogs his memory of the very first time that Jesus called him and James and John and they began to follow Jesus. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work, probably just wearing a loincloth and threw himself into the sea. Why you put your coat on before jumping into the water, I'll never know. But this is Peter, right? This is, this is kind of how he behaves and how he acts. He stands up, I gotta get in the water, it's cold, coat on, whoop, and then he jumps in, right? And then the disciples, watch the disciples, they just came in the boat. It's like, I don't know what you're doing, but we're probably going to get there before you as they pass Peter in the water, you know, <laughs> kicking water at him. Dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about 100 yards off. So they get up on land, and Jesus jogs Peter's memory for a second time. He wants to rewrite it a little bit like a Wikipedia page. He wants to... Revise it. The second memory is recorded in John chapter 18. And John talks about Simon Peter getting the opportunity to confess Jesus when Jesus is being taken to the cross. And yet, according to Jesus' prediction and prophecy, Simon Peter denies him. He eventually does so three times and then a rooster crowed, just as Jesus had predicted. And just as Simon Peter had said, that will never happen. Not in a million years, not a snowball's chance. Will I ever do that? And Jesus says, it's absolutely going to happen. And Peter denies his savior and best friend, denies that he even knows him. He swears at a 13-year-old girl. He literally curses at her and says, I have never met that man. She goes, your accent is Galilean. You've never met the I've never met the man. And, and when he does that, John tells us that he was warming himself. Well, if he was warming himself, what's he warming himself with? It's not a wood-burning stove. It's a fire, Right? He's standing around a fire when he denies Jesus. And when they got on land in John chapter 21, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. The last time we saw a fire in scripture, Peter was standing around it denying his best friend. You know how smells can jog your memory? Like you smell rubber or do you know what paperback books smell like? You know, like, I, how does that jog your memory? Or, or does anybody, you have a, like a specific cologne or perfume that if you smell it, it jogs your memory? If you're with your spouse, don't nod that hard. Yes, I remember, right? Some of you, it's a negative memory. Some of you, it's a negative memory. You know, the, the, the body is designed to do that. 
There's a physiological reason why that happens, a physical reason. Because in your nose, you have what's called the olfactory bulb. And when you inhale fumes, it touches that olfactory bulb, and that is transmitted to your brain. And whereas your other four senses, you know, taste and touch, the other four senses, whereas those are kind of dictated by the thalamus gland, the olfactory bulb, that, that nose gland that you smell with, it goes straight to two centers in your brain, the amygdala and the hippocampus. The amygdala governs your emotions. The hippocampus is where you store memory. And it, it, that, that olfactory bulb that you smell with is connected directly to those two things. And so your smell and your memory, your smell and your emotions are inextricably bound in a way that the other four senses are not. So Peter comes up on land, he smells this fire, and immediately his brain would have gone back to I denied him. I did something unforgivable. And he's going to make me own it. He's going to rub my nose in it. He wants to get even with me. Now he's resurrected from the dead. But maybe before, maybe I could have took him, but now I can't. And he's going to shame me for it. It's memory number two. Memory number three. Jesus took some of the bread and he gave it to them. And so with the fish. When's the last time in scripture we saw Jesus take the bread and give it to them? On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, take this bread and eat. It's my body given for you. Remember me. He instituted communion that day. So now Peter's memory is not just going back to the denial, but he's going back to the time where Jesus washed his feet and said, unless you let me wash your feet, you have no part with me. He's going back to when Jesus says, I'm gonna give my body for you. I'm gonna give my blood for you. Take, eat, remember me. This was now the third time, the next verse, third time that Jesus was revealed to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? And this is now the third time. You see what he's using? And he's teeing Peter up to have this conversation. He wants to walk Peter back through these memories, both good and bad now, and collect all this information together and remind Peter of one more critical piece that's more important than all the rest. Here it is. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? I imagine, this is just me, I'm relatively confident, but I could be proven wrong. But when Jesus says, do you love me more than these? He gestures at 153 fish on the ground. You left your discipleship and went back to fishing, bro. Fishing. Slithery, slimy, flopping around fish, having to work all night. You went back to this. Do you love me more than these? Some of you have gone back to a slippery, slimy life, haven't you? Gone back to hard work and, and not just from a, you know, you have hard work at your job, kind of, but spiritually hard work and you're trudging through life and you're having difficulty and challenges because you're not resting in the grace of God and not walking closely with him. And he says, do you love me more than you love this old life, Peter? He asks you the same thing today, men and women of God who have walked away from him. Do you love me more than you love your old life? 
Peter says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Now, this is critical. Listen. When Jesus first called Peter out of fishing, he said, from now on, you'll be catching men, so follow me, right? He placed a call on Peter's life that you would be the preacher of the good news, that you would have a a metaphorical net with which to catch men and bring them into the fold of the kingdom of God. That's the call on your life. And Jesus reminds Peter here, and he gets into his memory a little bit, and he says, not only do you have to remember, but you have to rememory and rememory or remember that my call on you is still the same. You are still to tend my sheep. You're still to feed my lambs. And I'm here to tell you, men and women of God, no matter what you've done, God's call on your life has not changed. From when you were a kid, from when you first met Jesus 25 years ago or three years ago or three months ago or three days ago, he had a purpose for you. And that wasn't just so that you would be saved and be enfolded into his kingdom, but that you would be a catcher of men, that you would be sent out into the world on mission for him to bring goodness and grace and hope where there is none. And no matter what you've done, no matter how shameful it is, no matter what old life you've gone back to that's slippery and slimy and grimy and you think you've done the worst thing that you could possibly do it's not worse than what Peter did and no matter what you've done his call on your life has not changed his call on your life has not changed that's the very first thing Jesus says as I've still got the same call for you my friend I've still got the same call for you I've still got the same purpose for you I've still got it even though what you think you've done is unforgivable My call on your life hasn't changed. Jesus goes on. He says to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says, all right, tend my sheep, feed my lambs. Same call. Jesus says to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was, say that word with me, grieved. It broke him. Now he shed a tear. Now his head is dropped. Why? Because Jesus asked him a third time. Three denials, three questions. I love Peter's response here. It's really fascinating to me. Jesus says to him a third time, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus says, feed my sheep. Uh, this is fascinating to me because Peter is, is banking on Jesus' omniscience and omnipresence. That is to say, he's banking that Jesus knows all things and he's all places at once and he hears his heart. And it's almost like Peter is saying, you know everything. You know my behavior. You were there around that fire just as much as I was, even though you were being taken to the cross at that point. Because you are God, you know everything, and my behavior may not exhibit it, but my heart does love you. Please, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus says, feed my sheep. Jesus doesn't ask Peter three times, do you love me, in order to rub his nose in it. He doesn't ask him to shame him. He doesn't ask him so that he feels real bad again. Peter feels bad enough. He asks him because he wants to move Peter from shame toward humility and toxic shame becomes productive humility only when we face it. 
He, he has to have Peter face it. And he's not doing it to shame him or punish him. He's certainly not being punitive here. He's doing it out of tenderness and love and care. And he's saying, I want you to face your sin. I want you to face your denial. I want you to face your betrayal. I want you to face the fact that you walked away because we've got to move you from toxic shame to productive humility. Men and women of God, if you've walked away from God, today is your day to come back to him, but you've got to face it. You've got to face that walking away. You've got to face whatever it is that happened. Whatever that thing is on your past, that scarlet letter that you want to conceal from people, you never want anybody to know. God already knows everything. And with his tender care and his shepherding heart by your side, he wants to walk you back through those memories and face it. And face it. So that instead of concealing and hiding and running away, that toxic shame could become productive humility and force you to the foot of the cross. Jesus goes on, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this in order to predict uh, the kind of death that Peter was going to die to glorify God. In other words, when Peter was older, someone would lead him to where he did not want to go. And then he would stretch out his hands and be nailed to a cross just like Jesus was. And church history says that Peter looked at his crucifiers and says, I'm not worthy to die in the same manner as my Lord, so flip me upside down. And that's what he did. And Jesus spoke it even before it happened, predicted it. And then he turns and looks at Peter and he says to him what? Follow me. The same call from three years ago, buddy. I'm not ashamed of you. I'm not mad at you. I forgive you. In fact, I still want you to follow me. In my mind's eye, I picture a rough and tumble fisherman. I've used this illustration before that fishermen back in the day were a little bit more like hell's angels than they were, (laughs) you know, whatever else, squeaky clean. I mean, this was a rough guy. This was a rough guy. And I picture him just breaking before a friend that he had denied and betrayed, before his savior, Because Jesus has now taken apart his shame right before his very eyes. And he's walked him back through these memories that they have together. When he broke bread and gave it to his disciples. When he washed Peter's feet. When he very first called him out of fishing for fish and called him into fishing for men. Every miracle of God in both the Old and New Testament. He walks him through every one of those memories, good and bad. If you look in your Bible, uh, uh, the heading for this chapter in most Bibles is Jesus reinstates Peter. You know, Peter had gone away from God. He had walked away from Jesus. Jesus brings him back to the fold in this one little statement here. He says, despite all this, you follow me. John tells us the story for two reasons. One is he wants us to know what happened to Peter because in a couple of chapters, Peter will preach the gospel with boldness in the very beginning of the book of Acts, even though the mob that's before him wants to kill him. It's like, whatever happened to that guy? The guy that swore to a 13-year-old girl that you barely know Jesus and then, or you've never met him before? And the guy that became the preacher of the gospel even when thousands of people wanted to kill him? What happened? 
that happened. John chapter 21 happened. The extravagant love and unconditional grace of God that's greater and bigger than anything you've ever done, that's what happened to Peter. So that's what John wants us to know. The second thing is, is that John wants us to know it can happen to you too. Whatever old life you've gone back to, however far you feel like you've strayed off the rails, however lost you may feel, however prodigal you may feel, this is for those who have once walked with Jesus and once met him in a personal way and now you've gone your own way and you've left him behind and you've forgotten and your memory does not serve you correctly and you believe that what you've done is so shameful that he would never want you back. Men and women of God, you may no longer believe in God. Maybe you believed at one one time, maybe you placed your active trust in him at one time, and maybe that's not true anymore, but God still believes in you. God still has hope for you. God still has a call for you. God still has grace for you. He's still on your side. He's still in your corner. He's still on your team. And even if you walk away today and don't make any changes, God still loves you in an extraordinary and unconditional way because you are his creation. You are his son, his daughter. You may no longer believe in God, but he believes in you. You may have given up on God. You may have walked away from him and said, I, it's not worth it anymore. I'm going back to this old life. As painful as it may be, as difficult as it may be, as destructive as it may be, I'm going back because I've given up on God. But God will never give up on you, ever. This is why Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son of the woman who loses a coin and, 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 and sweeps her entire house just to find this one coin of the shepherd who loses one sheep. One sheep wanders away from the fold and he leaves the 99 to go after the one of the father who waits on the horizon for his son to come home each and every day. And when his son finally comes home after squandering his inheritance on reckless living, the father runs to the son. And embraces him and kisses him, puts a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet and a robe on him. Men and women, nothing will ever push you outside of God's gracious reach. There's nothing you can do that would make him love you more. There's nothing you can do that would make him love you less. You go as far as Peter and deny him three times that you've never even met him before. And yet Jesus will still come after you and reveal himself to you and welcome you back to the fold. That is the grace and the good news about Jesus. That for those of us like me, who see my spiritual journey a little more like Peter and a little less like Paul. Because Paul was running away from Jesus for sure. <laughs> Killing Christians as a matter of fact. Putting them in prison. And one day he had this 180 degree turn on the road to Damascus and he never looked back. Let me ask you a question, men and women of God who know the Bible. When did Peter become a Christian? Was it when he confessed that Christ is the Son of God? He still denied him after the fact. Was it at the Mount of Transfiguration? Well, he still cut off the high priest Malchus's ear after the fact. I have this joke that people ask me, when did you become a Christian? And I say, I'm not sure I am one yet. Some of you are panicking. Don't panic. My response is, I think I'm still becoming one. Christian is just little Christ. Still becoming. Still have those moments when I walk away from Jesus, sometimes for an hour. Sometimes for like a really long time, like an hour and ten minutes. 
It's been three days, five days, 30 days, a year. Jesus still welcomes us back. Is that not good news, men and women of God? Is that not great news? And not just welcomes us back, but pursues us, goes after us. And there's nothing we can do to place ourselves outside of God's gracious reach. I hope you know that today. Let's read the last two verses of the Gospel of John, and then I want to encourage you with one final thing, and we'll be done. We've got to read the last two verses, right? Got to read it. It's been a three-year odyssey. Let's read the last two verses. One of them is like my favorite verse in all, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. I've got a lot of favorites. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible, okay? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things. John is just reminding us, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. I'm bearing witness. I saw these things with my own eyes and who has written these things. And we know that this testimony is true. Now watch this. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. The world itself is not a big enough library. That's pretty cool, right? John 10.10, John 3.16, all these famous verses. This one's awesome. Later on in, in Peter's life, after he became the rock on which Jesus built his church, he would begin to write letters to the church before he was crucified and martyred uh, there in Rome. And uh, toward the end of his life, when Peter knew he was going to die, he wrote his second epistle or letter to God's church that was scattered all over the known world at the time. And that letter was circulated all over. In the very first chapter of that work, he begins to address those who have walked away from Jesus just like he did. He begins to talk to those and about those who had denied Jesus just like he did, who had gone back to their old life just like he did, who had stopped exhibiting those character traits of a little Christ just like he did. Remember we said John 21 is all about memory? Watch what Peter says to those of us who struggle. He says, For whoever lacks these qualities, these godly qualities, character traits, is so nearsighted that he is blind, having, say that word, forgotten, that he had been cleansed from his former sins. Men and women, today just, God just wants you to remember and not forget. He wants you to remember his goodness and grace. No matter where you are, no matter how far you've strayed, if you feel near to God or far from him, if your life exhibits those character traits and qualities or if it doesn't, he just wants you to remember. He wants you to remember the bad things, not so that you feel shame, but so that you feel humility, so that you know of his grace and forgiveness and so that you can bask in his glory and so that he can use that brokenness to bless the nations. And he wants you to remember the good things too. The very first moment you called, uh, he called on you and called your name to follow him. The very first moment you sang, how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. How he rectified and redeemed your marriage. How he brought you out of an addiction. How he brought you out of financial ruin. How he's walked with you in the most difficult times of your life. He just wants you to remember. And not forget. Let's pray. Jesus, you so graciously jogged Peter's memory 2,000 years ago. Would you jog our memory now?
especially the memory of those who feel, sense, or know that whereas they once walked with you, they have now walked away from you. God, even as I prep this week, I sense that you laid this message on my heart for today for a specific person or people. I don't even know those names, but I know there's somebody here that needed to hear this. That that brokenness we return to, not even the brokenness we experienced before we knew you, Jesus, but the brokenness that we return to, the sin that we just can't seem to walk away from. and Maybe we were free of it for months or years. And we've gone back to our old life, just as Peter did, that, God, maybe somebody needs to know today that you do not shame them for it, that you don't reject them, but that you still believe in them, still proud of them, still call them your son or daughter. You're still on their side, still on their team. You still called them. You still have plans for them. God, would you remind not just us together, but me of your faithful presence with us, of your goodness and your grace, that nothing we could ever do could make you love us more, that nothing we could ever do could make you love us less. You love us just because we're your children and because that will never change your love for us will never change. Thank you for these stories in the scripture about individuals who experienced that and we pray God for the Peter in every one of us. That tendency that we have to walk away, remind us, oh God, that you have grace for us even then. And God, my ultimate prayer is that maybe if someone has walked away from you today that they would Return to the loving arms of the Father and know that they are loved and valued beyond what they could even comprehend. In Jesus' name, God's people said.